following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Um, as you look at Deuteronomy chapter 33, uh, a lot of what's going to happen is Moses is going to pass the torch of leadership over to a man named Joshua. Moses is our leader, and Moses uh, is the writer, too, of Deuteronomy. It's about five sermons in the conclusion of the Old Testament law. And as Moses brings to a close uh, all of the things that he has told the Israelites, he is preparing them for the promised land. They're essentially uh, at, like, um, the verge of this, this wandering, and they're about to go into a land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Jacob, and, and his people before Moses existed. And he gives instructions on how they are to not only prepare to enter into that promised land, but also he looks at them and he says, hey, um, these are the people that are going to lead in the promised land. Joshua being that leader because Moses, uh, one, he's old, and two, he was told by God that he's not allowed to go into the promised land for some things that transpired in previous chapters. The Old Testament connects to the New Testament because uh, we are also wandering in this state of wandering because we're waiting to go into our heavenly Zion, our promised land that God is preparing for us. Uh, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And that is currently happening and transpiring. But we have responsibility here on earth on how to conduct ourselves. And so as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 33, we realize that passing the tor to torch is a really good metaphor. And it's a metaphor that's been used for centuries. It describes passing on leadership or responsibility from one generation to the next. We come into a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. And then Matthew 28 says we share the gospel clearly, openly with people, one, as an opportunity for them to accept Christ, but two, as a proclamation of the fact that God is good and his love endures forever. In the New Testament, passing the torch came from the ancient Greek tradition of a relay race. Torches were lit. I can't imagine running with a lit torch. Can you? I mean, that just seems like a crazy thing, but Greeks were kind of crazy people, and they would pass an actual lit torch from one runner to the next until they crossed the finish line. We still use it today. We talk about passing the torch uh, actually literally in the Olympics. They actually do pass the torch as they start the Olympic Games. But then we also talk about it in politics and business and education. Even families use this passing of the torch. So Moses knows all about passing the torch long before the phrase is popular. He passes the torch of Deuteronomy over to, as I said, a man named Joshua. And Moses knows that his legacy wasn't about what he accomplished for the Lord, and neither is yours. Your legacy is not about you. It's about what God does through you and how you give that legacy on, and it can be lived on through other people until Christ comes back or calls us home. It's been said, passing the torch doesn't mean extinguishing our own light to give to another, it means igniting the flame in others, inspiring and empowering them to shine just as brightly. 
So in Deuteronomy 33 and 34, we learn how to pass the Lord's torch to the next generation for the glory of God to continue to shine. Because if you remember, in Deuteronomy, there are people who will not enter into the promised land. The promised land was for the next generation. And so here we get into the text, how to pass on this torch of leadership, preparing for our heavenly home, verse 1, Deuteronomy chapter 33. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, notice how it's pointing back away from Moses, the person, to the man of God. God had blessed him, the people of Israel, before his death. This is kind of like his swan song. And what he's going to say is, everything you need to know is going to be found in the living God. And for us in the New Testament, everything we need is found in Christ. Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. Now, in ancient times, it was custom for the father to bless or give a prayer of favor and protection to his children before his death. Jacob does this in Genesis chapter 49. So Moses is like a father figure to Israel, and he, like a father, is going to bless Israel. He led them through the Exodus. He was a mediator of the covenant at Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given. And Moses already gave a poetic blessing in Deuteronomy 32. And here, like a shepherd, he's going to give his final blessing to the people. Verse 2. He says, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned upon, from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. And he loved his people. I have that underlined twice in my Bible. He loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hands, so they were followers in your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded us a law and a possession for the assembly of Jacob, thus the Lord became a king in uh, Jerusalem, and when the herds of people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Notice here, Moses says there is a praise that is given to the Lord. Moses praised God for his appearance at Sinai. That is critical in Israel's history. For Israel to become a nation in the promised land, three things had to transpire. They needed to be a common people, which happened in Egypt. They needed to have a common law that was given at Mount Sinai. And they needed to dwell in a common land. That is in Canaan. All of those were given by God. That's exactly what Moses says in verse 2 through verse 5. Now let's break these down a little bit. Sinai, Seir, and Mount Paran, and Meribah, Kadesh are all places that Israel knew. Let me run this for you real quick. Sinai is Mount Horeb, where God gave Moses the law. That's the burning bush. You know that story, right? Exodus chapter 3 and 4. The Israelites later camped there, receiving the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 19. Seir, or as Edom, is where the Edenites, which is Esau's descendants, lived, where Israel was denied passage in wandering. It says there that God dawned or shined on Israel there, giving protection from hostile enemies. Mount Paran is spoken of in Habakkuk in Psalm. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3 says, The Holy One, the God with angels from Mount Paran is the one who leads his people out of Egypt, and he brings salvation to his people, and he judges the wicked. Praise the Lord. So Moses calls the people, remember, we praise the Lord in all of these things, all of these places that God has been with us, not for us, or with us and for us. 
Meribath Kadesh is where Israel grumbled against Moses and God because there was no water. And Moses struck the rock to provide water for Israel, and that was where he was denied entry into the promised land. So all of those places in the first five verses talk about how God provided. So here's my question for you as we're studying God's word this morning. Where is your Sinai? Where is your seer? Where is your Mount Paran? Where is your Meribath Kadesh? Places God acknowledged his love for you, his people, and where he meddled in your midst. I used to have a, in my office, I used to have a, a vase. I still think I, I think I actually still have it. I don't know. It's been on the shelf for a while. And in the vase, there's rocks. And on those rocks are dates. And uh, those dates all are places where God has been faithful and just. And I remember way back when I was doing youth ministry, the teenagers would look at me and they would say, what's with a vase full of rocks? And I would say, well, God rocks. And they thought that was kind of cute, you know. Um, and I did too until I told you. And <clears throat> <laughs> We've been doing this thing as a family where uh, we have a mason jar. And at the end of every week, we say our favorite memory from the past week and 90%, if not more, of those memories are places where God rocks. And then at the end of the year, our goal is to open those up and see the way that the Lord has worked. Do it. Take rocks out of your garden and write dates on them. Put them in your house. This is a great way to see what God has done. Because in the Old Testament, it says they would actually build um, these, these altars, if you will, out of rocks where God was faithful and just. So Moses praises the Lord, verse 6. And I'm not going to read all the way through uh, 29 here, but there's a blessing over the tribes. I'm actually going to do this very quickly, but Moses spoke a blessing over each of the tribe of Israel before his death, and this is a blessing or a prayer of favor and protection for each tribe and their uniqueness. Moses praises the Lord in each one of these blessings. As look at verse 3, it says, he loves his people and all are holy in his hands. Now, let me just run this. There's 12 tribes of Israel. And blessings that come with it. We're going to go through these really fast. Reuben is the first. He gets a blessing of life. He's the firstborn of Jacob. He's blessed with abundant life, but Reuben never excelled because of his sin against Jacob. We learned that in Genesis chapter 49. Judah was the blessing of leadership. Judah was a tribe king, was a tribe that had the kings of Israel that would come out of it. David and Jesus are our notable kings that come out of there, and Jacob prophesied about this in Genesis 49. Now notice, Moses blesses all the tribes except Simeon, because he says, Genesis 49 and Joshua 19, that Simeon already absorbed into the tribe of Judah by the time of Deuteronomy 33. So every time you see the tribe of Judah, we think of Jesus, because Jesus comes out of Judah. He's the lion of, there you go, Okay. Levi is the blessing of priesthood. We have Levitical priests, and it says here that they were set apart to serve God in the tabernacle and later in the temple, and they went to every single tribe. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, verse 12 says the Levites failed, and so you need a greater high priest, and that high priest's name is Jesus. So Jesus obviously comes out of Judah. Benjamin is a blessing of security, located near the capital city of Jerusalem, protected by the tribe of Judah. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is it says Benjamin was a a ravenous wolf, um, but yet still very loved by the Lord. 
Some of you um, ravenous wolves need to know that you're loved by the Lord. Joseph, blessing of prosperity. His descendants were split into two. So verse 13 through 17, we see Ephraim and Manasseh given fertile land, Joshua 17. Actually, Joseph is given a double portion for his faith. Fascinating. Uh, Zebulun and Issachar, blessing of fruitful commerce, verses 18 and 19 in Deuteronomy 33. Both in the Galilean region, which is where Jesus' ministry took place. And uh, lots of rich agriculture, Sea of Galilee. So notice, Moses blessing all of these tribes. He's at the end of his life, giving over blessings. He's saying, hey, this is what I desire would come from you because he knows them well. Gad, verse 20, a strong, courageous tribe. This says they were lion-like. They helped defend Israel against their enemies, flourished troops for David in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Dan is giving a blessing of justice. He was supposed to be just, but turned out to be troublesome, actually. Um, Dan actually introduced idolatry to Israel in Judges chapter 18, and later became the center of idol worship in Israel in Amos chapter 8. Joseph said, Dan shall be a serpent by the way in Genesis chapter 49, who'd migrate to Basham in Judges chapter 18. So we praise the Lord that he is um, a gracious God. <clears throat> couple more, two more. Naphtali, which by the way, we know a guy named Naphtali, a great child name if you guys are looking for babies' names. <clears throat> Naphtali lived in a really, a, a really sweet region of northern Israel, um, known for their love of nature and the arts. They had a full blessing of the Lord. And then Asher is the blessing of abundance. He lived in a rich, fertile land with plentiful crops and livestock. Okay, so that's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 6, all the way to verse 25. And we read that and we say to ourselves, so what? Right? Neat, Pastor Jordan. I wonder how long that took you to study. A long time. So you're welcome. <clears throat> Imagine a majestic oak tree. Bethany and I in um, California got a chance to go see the redwood trees. Uh, I thought they were much bigger. And supposedly in California, um, they're, they're the small version of those. Uh, so uh, I was thinking about it when we were there, about oak trees and, and these, um, these big trees that are all around. These trees have deep roots that have been growing for many, many years. Many of you know about oak trees. But the roots or the base of the tree, let's use this as a symbol, is a symbol of our living God. We look at the trunk and we see the patriarchs. A patriarch is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all these people in the Old Testament. They are the firm foundation of our faith from the living God. You have faithful believers like Noah, Moses, lived a life of devotion, obedience to God. Then you get the branches that extend from the trunk representing tribes and their descendants. And then when Jesus comes, many Jews reject him as Messiah, and they are said to be cut off, allowing the Gentiles to be grafted in. That's Romans chapter 11. <clears throat> and now the leaves on the tree represent those who pass on the truth today. So church, just, just think about this for a second. When we say the Old Testament, we're looking at a rich oak tree. We're seeing all these people who point back to our living God who is so great. And then the branches we see in through the, uh, in through the end of the, uh, of the Old Testament into the New Testament, the disciples. 
And then we see us, who are also, as Gentiles, allowed to be grafted into the family of God. We have the same opportunity here to receive the blessings that were given over in Deuteronomy chapter 33. So there's two applications to this. First one, if you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, all of the blessings of the Old Testament are available to you in Christ. It's amazing to look at that. That's what Romans chapter 8, Paul says that. He says, believers, you have access to all that's promised to Israel in the Old Testament. In Christ, you are made co-heirs with him and debt, or your inheritors to all of the promises of God. You don't have to turn there. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Isn't that great? Like, I feel like that's a good, good thing, right? I feel, I feel like that's, that's, that's good, because I know it's good. So if we do know it's good, the second truth is also relevant. It is our responsibility to pass on that truth to the next generation, some of our reasons for failing to tell people about the glory of God is because we don't believe the first thing to be true, that God has blessed us in abundance. Just as the blessings of Israel were passed down from generation to generation, we have the responsibility to pass on our faith to the next generation. Look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people. That's you who will also be qualified to teach others. We, as believers, are a boundary stone for the next generation to build on. The fear is that we're not adequately equipping the next generation with the truths of Scripture that have been entrusted to our care. This is everything that you need to pass on. And so the call here in verse 34, or chapter 34 is to trust in that. Put your faith in that. Look at verse 1 of chapter 34 in Deuteronomy. Moses goes up to the plains of Moab, to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land. Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh. These are places that he just prayed over. The land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev, the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, I can't even imagine being Moses standing there, seeing all that God has given to him. And then God speaks to him. He says, this is the land which I swore to Abraham. I can't, I can't even like, think about it that Moses looked at it and says, it, it, it does. It's, it's true. All of your promises are yes and amen. He could see him with his eyes. This is the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I'll give it to your offspring. I will have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go there. And so Moses obediently climbs this Mount Nebo to die. And God already told him it was going to happen in Deuteronomy 3. And at the top of Pisgah, that's a ridge on the summit of Mount Nebo, where Moses sees this promised land. And although you... Can't usually see the Mediterranean Sea from there. God enables Moses to do so. And God reminded Moses of a promise that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Regarding Israel inheriting the land. God would fulfill his covenant even though Moses wasn't able to go. 
And all of this is evidence of God's faithfulness. Look at what he says in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord. Man, wouldn't that be a good thing to put on your obituary? Wouldn't that be amazing if people at your funeral, I know it's kind of morbid to think about, but they said, your name, a servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab. And he died according to the word of the Lord. Even sometimes somebody's death can be an opportunity to praise the Lord. And he was buried him, and he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of the burial to this day. Actually, that's not true. If you go to Israel, a lot of people will say they know where Moses is buried. And if you pay a price, you can actually go see where Moses is buried. <clears throat> Just wondering if you're tracking with me there for a second. <clears throat> Uh, Where did I leave off? Uh, Verse 7. Let's say 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Verse 8. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And the days of weeping and mourning for Moses was ended. Verse 9. Here comes Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now notice here, God's faithfulness is evident, first and foremost, in Moses' death and his burial. Despite Moses' lack of faith in Numbers 20, not going to the promised land, Moses died in faith and was honored as God's servant by being buried by the Lord himself. Can you imagine that? God himself is your pallbearer. Whew, that's interesting. He's your undertaker. Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 6 says, to this day, no one knows where his grave is, which is something Jude in Jude 9 also validates. Moses is 120 years old. Israel mourns for 30 days, which is amazing because the normal mourning period was seven days according to Genesis chapter 50. That means he was dearly loved. It shows that God is faithful in putting his servants to rest and also letting people have time to remember. Now, we know that Moses lived on, as centuries later, he shows up in the New Testament. He comes with Elijah at Christ's transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. And that's another sermon for another day. (laughs) But Joshua, look at this, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, which came from Moses' commissioning of him in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 7. And God gave Joshua the same supernatural skill that Moses had. For leading Israel. How did he get it? Two ways. Number one, the spirit of the Lord was with him. But number two is really interesting. More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. Joshua learned from Moses because he caught everything that Moses did. It was evident in Moses, and so it moved in to Joshua. Verse 10. There has not arisen a prophet since Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to his servants, and to his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. Moses was an exceptional prophet. He is celebrated by his close relationship with God. He knew God face to face. That means he knew him as a friend. 
Moses saw God's miraculous power, spirit, awesome deeds, ushered in a new era for God's people. Now, what's amazing is the Israelites would anticipate the coming of another prophet like Moses. A day when another Moses would be given to Israel as a testimony to God's faithfulness. And we live in that day. This, this is the time period that we live in. When Christ came, the very Son of God surpassed Moses. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus takes us into a new era. It's called the age of his grace. So there's two applications as we close the book of Deuteronomy. One. Your godly legacy has to be cemented, grounded, and rooted in God's faithfulness. If you do not have an arsenal of verbiage about how God has been faithful to you in your life, it is time to sit down to open up the journal and start writing. As Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I finished the race, and the most important part of that verse is, I kept the faith. I kept the faith. God gives us a legacy to be grounded on His faithfulness. Just as it says here, that God had given Moses the opportunity to know Him face to face, it was all because of faith. Second thing. God's faithfulness is ultimately found and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Moses was a great leader, fantastic prophet. But everything he and the other prophets did after him pointed to God's faithfulness that would be found in Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, says Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. For Jesus has been faithful in his appointment as the Son of over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So in a relay race, you got each runner a specific distance to cover before handing off the baton to the next runner. The goal in that race is not just to run as fast as possible, but in a relay race, the goal is to set the other person up for success. Here's my call and concern as we close Deuteronomy. I think sometimes we are more concerned about our own self than we are about setting up the next runner for success. We have to strive to live our lives in a way that pleases the Lord. Yes, that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But also, we have to point back and proclaim God's faithfulness. Parents, if you want your kids grow up to love the Lord, you have to proclaim God's faithfulness. Those of you who are in the workplace, if you want your co-workers to come to know Jesus, you got to proclaim God's faithfulness. So oftentimes our world knows what we're against, but it forgets what we're for. And we're for the faithfulness of God. Husbands, if you want your wives to love you, you got to proclaim God's faithfulness. Wives, if you want your husbands to love you, you got to proclaim God's faithfulness. Every single time we proclaim God's faithfulness, it sets us up for godly success. Not just ourselves, but also the next generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> that's Deuteronomy. And as we look at the death of Moses, and the passing of the torch on to Joshua, we're reminded that Jesus comes, lives a perfect sinless life, 
dies upon a cross, a death that we should have embraced, comes and walks around and appears as a resurrected man, a resurrected God, to over 500 people, visits his disciples, and then passes on the leadership to them. He says, I will give you a new spirit. Paul is a recipient of that free gift. Paul makes the proclamation, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. So the offering is on the table. For those of us who don't know Christ, we come to know Christ through faith. We trust in Him, in Him alone. If you're here this morning and haven't done that, make that decision. But so many of us, Lord, have made the decision to be followers of Jesus, to put our faith and trust in you. And now you're calling us to go. And as we just heard a few minutes ago about an ordinary person, you call us from ordinary to extraordinary. And that comes when we proclaim your faithfulness to ourselves and to others. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of the ways that you have worked in our life so that we may proclaim the excellencies of you who have called us out of darkness into glorious light. Take us from ordinary to extraordinary as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, whether that be here in these communities entrusted to our care or all the way to the other side of this world. Help us to be faithful and just. Give us the opportunity to share freely what you have given to us. We ask these things in your name, in your name alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.